0: You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much love drives a man insane You broke my will, but what three. thrill Goodness grace is great, ball of fire I let you love And this is Ed Cohen, editor of GlobalBusinessNews.net and Global HR News, and your host today on Global Business Radio Talk Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our guest today is Holly Klotz, manager of Global Talent Mobility Solutions at Ingersoll Rand Corporation. Hello. Hi, Holly. Well, thanks for being there.
1: Yeah, happy to be part of it.
0: I'd like to ask you a few questions, of course. First of all, about yourself and your current role. I noticed that from your bio that you have more than 15 years of experience in both relocation and international assignment management, both as a service provider and as a strategic global mobility manager. So tell us a little bit about this.
1: Well, I think like most people, you fall into the relocation industry. It's not, uh, not a job you can go to school for but I found it through a good friend that worked for Oakwood Temporary Housing way back in the early 2000s, and they had an opening, and that sounded like an interesting opportunity. And sort of the rest of history. Oakwood was a, a great experience into the overall relocation industry and then went to briefly work for a, a small moving company here in Charlotte, worked there for about a year and a half, and was able to find this opportunity here at Ingersoll Rand. Um, and i've been here for managing the mobility program for a little over 7 years
0: looking back at your diverse background as a supplier with hands on rubber meets the road if you will in actually handling the people the stressful relocation is stressful isn't it
1: very much so i think that's i'm not sure stressful ac- accurately describes it
0: yeah you know i was watching the uh, the baseball game last night new york mets playing my san diego padres and they were talking about the trades as being the baseball trade deadline time. And a couple of the guys from San Diego were notified uh, in the morning to get on a plane and go to Kansas City. <laughs> they were now part of Kansas City, no longer part of San Diego. So up they go. Uproot, go. How's that for a relocation stress?
1: You know it's interesting that you say that because we are going through something similar with some realignments of our of our trained sales and service districts. And so we recently had an experience where on a Sunday, three of our employees got called and said, "We know you you live in Columbus, but we need you to relocate to Cleveland, and oh, by the way, we'd love for you to go there tomorrow." And so we actually have experienced that. interestingly, it's a good uh, it's a good lead into that. We, we are experiencing that with some employees now. Um, we're having to accommodate, you know, what that means for them and their families. And it ultimately just means a lot of exceptions to policy because you uh, you, you need to support them. You need to support the business to get to get these new districts up and running. And, um, yeah, it's been an interesting time for these folks and, and a good learning for us all.
0: I'm going to guess here that your current employer, Ingersoll Randcorp, which is a large industrial corporation worldwide, they probably loved the fact that you had hands-on experience on the other side as a supplier.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you and I might have talked about touched on this at one of your um, in-person sessions. So it's funny, when this opportunity came about at Ingersoll Rand, I, I was actually, um, just due to the, the economy, I had been misplaced. Basically, I lost my job in 2010 with a moving company, and I was, had learned about this opportunity through just being well-networked and really told my husband, there's no way I'm going to be hired for this role. Um, But it turns out I was their top candidate because I did have that experience from the supplier side and could really speak the language from two areas of relocation. And that was one of the, I think, one of the real reasons uh, why I was ultimately hired for the position is because of that experience.
0: Looking back to those early days when you came on board, Between us all, Rand. Who did you report to? HR people, or finance people, or procurement people?
1: So, our mobility department has actually been part of the shared services organization for many years. So, prior to me starting, we were already part. We weren't called shared services back then. We had a different name, but ultimately, that's what it was. It was a shared services team. So, mobility's actually reported in through shared services for a number of years.
0: They must have viewed you at that time. As strictly Clark kind of person, operational, get it done, manage the move. They didn't yeah. know about the stresses and all that impact on the bottom yeah. line, did they?
1: Yeah, and that's a, a you know, really a really great question. So the definitely up until I would say maybe the last eighteen months or so, the team was always viewed as a transactional pack a box, sell a house type of function, and that's how we'd been led. So the prior manager of this department had been with the company for managing relocation and, mo- and international assignments for more than 20 years. And so she just, on her way out to retirement, she just wasn't interested in that talent mobility buzzword that was happening in the industry you know, a handful of years ago and really playing a more strategic role. But when you look back on all the work we've done, even up to this point, a lot of what we had been doing was strategic. Was more consultative for the business, wasn't just that transactional type of environment, and it you you do get sort of that check mark next to your name for like a better Bay be to say it when you sit with payroll and health and welfare and four hundred one k. That's all they, they that's exactly what they are. They're very transactional. They don't play strategic roles. They're not thinking about. Uh, how they can help manage talent and, and uh, lower turnover, et cetera. And that's some of the stuff that we do. We directly impact employee engagement. While, you know, we're 40-some thousand employees strong globally, we might only touch 1% of the population or less in relocation every year, but we're moving very high-level senior leaders most of the time. And, you know, if you don't do a good job, the world's going to know about it. So you can very much be thought of as transactional, but this organization, this function, and, and across most organizations, mobility is really a strategic function. It just has never really been thought of that way.
0: So now it is. Let's look at today and uh, peek at tomorrow. Problem solving and decision-making, team building and leadership, liaison uh, multiple stakeholders, all of that goes on in your world, then that is certainly not a low-level thing.
1: It does. It's amazing the number of high-level employees and stakeholders. And we're actually going through some major policy changes internally. And the number of folks we've had to connect with in order to get these policies approved, uh, it's not just HR. It's not just um Finance. It, it goes, you know, well beyond making sure that um, business leaders and even your lower level HR business partners are are on board. So we're, we're actually responsible to make not only the employees of Ingersoll Ram that are moving and moving their families happy, but we're also responsible to make our other internal customers, the HR leaders and the businesses that we support happy as well. So we, we have a, a, you know, a, a balance and, and a,
0: a balanced role to play. Let's shift a little bit, keeping in mind all that, but let's shift a little bit to international relocations, um, people coming into the U.S. as well as Americans being sent out. So um, Ingersoll Rand is global. So what kind of population comes into the U.S. for Ingersoll Rand?
1: So most of our inbound into the U.S. folks, are engineers coming in to work on projects. Um, We send most of our traditional expats actually are outbound from the U.S. or from other countries, but most inbound into the U.S. are coming in um, as as engineers working on projects.
0: Short-term.
1: Short-term, correct, yes. Anywhere from 3 to 12 months with a possible 6-month extension, so up to 18 months.
0: So are these people in hotels, or are they uh, your rental apartment for them? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, we have a pretty solid process around that. They stay in furnished housing for the duration of their assignment. We provide them rental car assistance. We put them on our international medical benefit plan. We pay them a daily per diem, and they'll get tax selling support for the number of years that they're on assignment.
0: And what about the compliance enforcement challenge? Yes. Um, uh, to what extent are you involved in that ongoing, uh, or, or do you just say yes. um, call a lawyer, no, lawyer, you know, call a lawyer? No, very,
1: very much involved. We established the program specifically to ensure compliance. Um, so, from that standpoint, we are reporting those wages um, to the U.S. because they're taxable in the U.S. from day one. So, we are reporting those wages. For everything that we do. And all of the policies and programs that we build, um, we ensure that we are fully compliant with IRS regulations.
0: I want to drill into RFP, if I may. So uh, RFPs today take into consideration everything that we've just been saying. So how do you, as the boss, how do you ensure that the service delivery, that your service delivery requirements are met?
1: Yeah. So we take a really, as an organization, we take a really different approach to RFPs. I can't say that we do that across the board. We may do regular RFPs for things like office supplies, but when you're looking at that indirect, what we call indirect spend, it's a different approach, right? So for us, service is actually the most important thing, not price. And we've been blessed with a procurement team that pretty much leaves us alone. Um, So we're, we're very loyal to our suppliers. Uh, we've, our relocation management company has been our supplier since the late 90s. We have not been required to go out to bid um, uh, just just because we just are lucky enough to be able to renegotiate our contract, and that's because of your earlier point around service. So we have some really solid SLAs, service level agreements, um, in place with our suppliers, both of our key suppliers, and we actually meet with them on a monthly basis to review where we are. Develop action plans if we're in the red, um, you know, to to get us back to green, and and that might require some service recovery from from my team internally. So we don't always lean specifically on the supplier to solve all the issues. Um, and what our goal is to always be everyone's favorite client. We're not demanding. We're flexible. We understand people make mistakes. We're here to help from a service recovery standpoint if needed. And as you know, Ed, we've we actually awarded both of our key suppliers this year a bonus because they exceeded their service level agreements for 2016. So we as an organization, it's small dollars, but we roughly paid out $15,000 to our key suppliers this year for exceeding their service levels for 2016.
0: Am I allowed to ask who they are?
1: Sure. Cardis is our relocation management company. Like I said, we've been with them since the late 90s. And Suddeth is our household goods mover. And we've been with Sutter for exclusively. They're our exclusive household goods mover, and we've had that partnership for more than ten years.
0: Well, congratulations! It's, so it's like a partnership. Uh, it is a partnership.
1: It, it is. I don't actually use the word vendor, and people that use the word vendor, it just it's like nails on a chalkboard. I can't say the word. They're a partner, right? We are an outsourced program, and so your suppliers in an outsourced world are an extension of your. Of your team, and really, they should be treated that way.
0: So let's drill down now to the single point of contact. I know you and I have discussed this earlier, but uh, for the audience, um, what do you think about that? First of all, describe it. What is a single point of contact, and is it real? Does it work? It doesn't work. Yeah, does it?
1: yeah. I mean, it's a really it's a it's an interesting concept, right? And I think years ago it probably worked really well, but in today's fast paced environment. It's not, it's not working. So a single point of contact is where you're, relo- whether you're an in-house or an outsourced um, function, right, you have one specific person that manages the entire process from end to end for a relocating employee. So that would mean if I'm their single point of contact, they would call me and ask me all the questions. Well, that means I have to be an expert in everything. And what's the likelihood that you're going to find a talented person that is an expert in house goods, temporary living, home sale, home purchase, spousal assistant, on and on and on and on. And guess what? In a lot of those cases, I might be your single point of contact, but I and I so maybe I'm an expert in all those things, but I'm not going to be delivering the service. I don't have my own temporary apartments. I don't I'm not the real estate agent. So you have, unfortunately, a lot of people involved in the process and there's a lot of moving parts. So The employee and their family need to engage and talk to all these people throughout the process. It's just impossible for you to leave that on one person's shoulders because really all I'm doing is going to the real estate agent and asking the question and then delivering back the message to the employee. And in some cases, things could get lost in translation. It adds a delay. So while I think it's great and it's an awesome concept, it just doesn't work in today's world. I think what we're missing, though, is the technology piece that brings it all together. So, if all of your suppliers worked in the same technology space and the employee had to just go one place to reference their information, sign all their documents, upload all their documents, I think that's the missing piece. So, if you had a single point of technology where all the suppliers played nicely in the sandbox, uh, I think you would have a different outcome. But today, that's just not the way it works.
0: So let's transition now to technology. What about robots? Bots. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's so, it's so funny. So, um, I really, I'm super excited about this topic. And, um, I, it really, it's, it's not just related to mobility. So it's called Robotics Process Automation. RPA is what you'll hear the, uh, the, the term. And really what it does is it enables an organization to automate your existing like, ho- high-volume data entry points.
0: I mean, as long as people run the bots, then, you know, the and bots so, can and, run everything.
1: Yeah, and so that's actually why people, I think, are so afraid of it, because they just assume um, a bot is going to come in and, and, and take your take your job. So we're, as an organization, we're actually looking at this as a solution in the in our overall shared services team. Um, not just in mobility. Actually mobility, I'm I'm I asked to be the guinea pig and um I would love to be the guinea pig for RPA at Ingersoll Rand because I it when sitting in the meeting I was had already jotted down like ten things that I thought a bot could do that would save so much time for us. But my thought isn't that I'm gonna eliminate someone on my team that actually frees up that person to do the things that we really want to do for our businesses and for our and our employees that are relocating, is to be more hands on, be more available, less data entry, less time doing repetitive tasks. So, for us, we're not looking at it as, as an opportunity to cut head headcount. Sure, could there be some redundancies? Could there be an opportunity that we might need to eliminate? Sure, right? That happens every day, and that is you know unfortunate. But I think what what people need to understand is that. If you bring all these bots in to do this work, you have to have somebody manage the bots. And you have to have somebody that understands how to code them and basically create your own center of excellence around bot management. So, you learn and you reskill these people instead of eliminating their positions. If they're if they're interested in it, they can be taught how to code. If you can create a Visio process document, you can code these bots. It's that simple. So it's, it's amazing. It, it, it takes where it might take you three hours or four hours or five hours to create one employee record in your um, HR management system. This bot can do all that for you. It can, it can create the record. It can alert facilities that you need a desk. It can alert IT that you need a computer and a phone. It can alert your travel department that you need a new company credit card. It can... Sign the employee up for all the online learnings that they need to take as a new employee. The list of possibilities go just on and on and on, and it is one of the things that, if you're not familiar with it, make yourself familiar with it because it's going to be coming to your world, Um, and it's something that you should embrace, not as a opportunity um, that you might lose your your job or that you might lose people, but that it's really going to be the way in a shared services department and around the globe, right, that in any kind of environment, bots are coming.
0: Do you have a name for your bot?
1: I don't have a bot yet, unfortunately. Um, wow. I wish I did. I um, Like I said, I want to be the guinea pig but um, in our shared services department, but I'm not. Um, we're not the priority, unfortunately. Um, they're looking at it um, as a priority in other in other areas that do higher volume tasks, like payroll and the, the HR data entry teams where they're creating new employee records on a regular basis, things like that. Um, But like I said, I have at least 10 things that I know a bot could do for me if I could have one.
0: So I'm not a techie, but it sounds like a bot is like an app. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not an actual, like, it's not like an actual robot that's coming in and sitting down and, and typing on a keyboard, right? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm not the expert in it. I've attended a couple hours' worth of understanding on RPA. Um, but you basically purchase a license from a company that hosts the bot, and it's. I want to say it's more like your cloud-based type of solution. It's An app is probably a, a good Maybe reference, but it's not an app per se.
0: I think Bill Gates had a meeting with President Trump recently and he suggested that it ought to be mandatory in kindergarten and grade schools to teach coding. So, what do you think about that?
1: I have a 17 month old that knows how to operate an iPad. So, I'm going to say <laughs> that that's probably very important. <laughs> he knows how to turn the iPad on, how to find the videos that he wants to watch. And try to think back how that happened. He sees us with our cell phones in our hands all the time. We actually are one of those families that eliminated cable. And so we watch TV through our, you know, we have a smart TV. So we watch TV through an app. So I I guess it's the wave of the future.
0: (laughs) So what do you tell younger people in your Charlotte area relocation group and, and and other groups about passing, you know, career passing through mobility. I would think that mobility provides, well, I know that mobility provides access to a multitude of stakeholders, and it's an obvious training program for people who are adapted and flexible and want to learn and are detail-oriented at the same time. Could you comment? on on career pathing through mobility um, I mean just looking ahead would you tell your 17 month old to go into mobility as a career later?
1: You know so what I think that um, what people don't understand or what people are missing when they think about a career in mobility especially if you're going to manage a program for an organization the opportunity uh-huh. to learn so many different things so maybe mobility isn't your end game right maybe it's Maybe you want to get your foot in the door in an HR role or you want to, you know, you want to work for corporate tax in an organization. But is a really good place to start because you have the ability to interact with mul- a multitude of suppliers, with, to your point, a multitude of stakeholders in the organization. So I know a lot about payroll tax. I know a lot about international tax. I know a lot about corporate tax. When we're, in, when we're setting up a new trading hub in a new country, we're involved in those initial discussions because we're advising on how the impact in hiring foreign nationals will have. Or, uh, And we just went, went through this a couple of years ago in Panama. And the way that the organization structured our trading hub in Panama meant we were limited to the number of foreign nationals we could hire and hire them as local employees. And so those are things that... We hold the expertise on um, business travelers is a great um, is a great thing to talk about. Nobody is really looking to manage business travelers here at Ingersoll Rand. My team are jumping up and down to manage business travelers because we understand from a compliance standpoint we might be at risk, and we understand those things. So I think if I if I wanted to talk to someone about career pathing, first of all, I think there should be a bigger focus from colleges and universities on. Specifically around relocation and international assignments because they're not going away. In fact, people are. Our volume is increasing, um, and even in a bad economy, normally you're you're moving people strategically, and so relocation never goes away. And so I think you think about career pathing. Organizations should never look to eliminate mobility in a in a down in a down economy. Colleges and universities just focus on teaching people more about it because. Most people in mobility end up learning on the job. And think about it. If you had people that already knew it and understood it and came into it, the the things that you would be able to accomplish, I think, are and be more strategic on the front end, I, just be more consultative to your businesses, I think it would just be a win-win across the board. So career pathing, I think mobility is an amazing um, field. This is where I, I fell in love with it 15 years ago. I don't ever see myself leaving it. Um you know, I think I'll continue to grow in my expertise on international tax. So, you know, and if you and I talk in two years, you might be able to quiz me on on tax and, I don't know, Africa, and I might be able to answer all those questions where I might not know them today. But as we move folks into Africa, maybe I have to learn about that, right? So people are looking for an exciting opportunity. It's in mobility because no two days around here are the same.
0: So uh, that's really really interesting, and I want to come back to that at a, at another time. But uh, what about the employee experience, the um, transferee, right? The people being moved, uh, not just the employee, but in many cases the family, um, who um, probably doesn't want to go. So how do you deal with the employee experience reality check?
1: We do a couple of different things. Uh, one. We have asked our businesses to bring us into these discussions more on the front end. So oftentimes we're finding out about an international assignment after the candidate has already been selected. And we can always tell you, and I think anyone in my role will say the same thing, we know right away whether or not an assignment is going to fail or whether or not a family is going to be able to adapt based on how they handle themselves throughout the relocation process. So what we're doing is actually implementing what we're not new. It's a candidate assessment. And essentially the result of that assessment is to help the family understand and the employee and the family understand, can I adapt? Do I need additional support? And if I do need additional support, where, where and how? What, is, what does that support look like? Is it additional cultural training? Is it more um, hands-on training or uh, spending more time with, say, the destination agent on the ground in the new country? What does it mean to the employee? And so then we're taking that assessment and actually tailoring our support to what we're sort of hoping it enhances the experience, right? And that's sort of a, a word we've adopted around here recently is really enhancing the experience. So where we used to draw draw a hard line around exceptions to policy and things like that, in the last two years, we've just said really in the big picture, this extra $5,000 is nothing in comparison to helping the employee get settled quicker their family be more adaptable, things like that. So we're really trying to enhance the experience. And I would say that if you looked at our our service scores over the last two years, um, we have seen a, a significant increase in job satisfaction as it relates to the experience through the process um, and then along with the, gaining the experience themselves. And with that comes a really difficult discussion with an employee that, Maybe a business leader or an HR leader doesn't want to have, but it's a discussion that we're not afraid to have. And that is, we're investing in you. Here are our expectations of you and your family. You tell us what you hope to gain from that experience. And along the way, if you're not getting it, if we're not meeting those needs, you tell us and we'll make sure we do meet your needs. So when we talk about tracking ROI or return on investment, our goal is to really track it from an employee experience standpoint. Did you get everything out of this assignment that you had hoped for? And if you did, but you were unhappy because you didn't like the house that you rented, we're going to tell you to stop complaining because these were the goals that you outlined and we helped you meet those goals. You're going to grow in your career, whether it's at Ingersoll Rand or another organization, because of this experience.
0: We're talking with Holly Klutz, who's obviously loving her job at, at Ingersoll Rand and loves the opportunity. And thank you for sharing this talk about, well, context, people, and circumstances, and about reskilling to meet the challenges. I really love this conversation. Thank you, Holly, for being yes. our guest today on Global Business Radio Talk Show. And I welcome okay. you to be involved in a future conference as well.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Okay, thank you. This is Ed Cohen signing off. I'm in San Diego. And Holly, you're in North Carolina, right?
1: Scarlett. Yep, absolutely.
0: Okay, thank you so much.
1: Goodbye.
0: Thanks. Bye. the <laughs> 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 <Real nice. laughs>